I recently signed up my oldest to play basketball and, and baseball. Now, the latter is pretty easy. It was pretty easy as I just had to go on the website, fill in some information, I was done. Now, when I was younger, back in the day, you really had to work to sign up for a team, for an athletic team. Right, we didn't have the internet that you, you crazy kids have today. All right, now, I still remembered very well Saturday morning Little League signups, Little League baseball signups. Every year, my dad would shake me out of bed at 6 a.m. And he let me have, because my dad, while he was many things, was pretty clueless on what I ate for breakfast. So he let me have whatever I wanted for breakfast, which usually included some form of soda and usually an uncooked pack of oatmeal. Um, so that's what I had. And we were off to some trailer at that point near the baseball fields. Now, the ritual was similar every year because these signups were all about the dads. Dads stand in line and they speak of their kids in one of two ways, generally. One, they try to convince other dads that their son is the next great phenomenon. Or, they sheepishly mutter under their breath that uh, their son's not so much of an athlete, but he just needs to get out of the house for a while. <laughs> right? This is one of these two things. Meanwhile, of course, the children are listening. And somewhere, future therapists are grinning ear to ear, right? <laughs> Cha-ching! Now, I think this experience and others like it have actually helped me and others of my generation learn an important lesson, which is this. It's probably best not to sign up for anything, but just show up for some things. So whether at the office, at church, or responding to a mass family email, you know these, right? We say we're willing to help, but we pretty much do anything to avoid the cursed sign-up sheet, right? right? We will avoid it. In fact, uh, true story, I had a pastor once tell me that uh, upon confronting a person in his congregation about not signing up to help out at an event that they verbally said they would, that person actually claimed to be illiterate, right? And so <laughs> they claimed they couldn't read, and then went to the, you know, said, well, I didn't know. I couldn't tell the difference between the sign-up sheets, so. But this morning isn't about signing up for events, for the tech team, for the music team, etc. But to convey, under the guidance of God's word, that in order to multiply your impact, you need to sign up on someone's team. Alright, so the sermon in a nutshell this morning, in order to multiply your impact for Christ, you need to sign up on someone's team. You can impact people in a variety of ways, right? Through a talent, through an idea, a resource. But that impact is only maximized when making a commitment to pour those talents, those ideas, and those resources into somebody else. And, and there's an and to this. When you do so within the local church, the local expression of Christ's body, his hands and feet here on earth, even more so. In other words, if you haven't signed up on someone's team, you have an opportunity in the local church, i.e. community groups. You knew it was coming, all right? But we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let me give you some background here. God had set up an earthly kingdom amongst his people, but the king turned out to be a narcissistic, paranoid schizophrenic, all right? So there were problems, all right, in the government. So he chose another king, a young man named David. David did some big stuff. 
In fact, he became an overnight national hero. And Saul, King Saul, the paranoid schizophrenic, and his family find out that the local prophet has basically declared that David will be the new king. So Saul does what any self-respecting, egomaniacal monarch would do. He tries to kill the guy. Right? That's what he got to do that. So that's where we find ourselves. First Samuel chapter 20. Read this story with me if you would. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does not do anything, great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king at his table. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field to the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, Leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of his clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. In other words, he wouldn't die. But if he's angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, why would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out to the field. So they go out to the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father, do you no harm? The Lord do so to Jonathan and more so if I do not disclose it to you and send you away and you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he's been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of his enemies, every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then David said to him, Tomorrow is a new moon, you'll be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter is at hand, and remain beside the stone heap. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot a mark. In other words, he was a good marksman. And behold, I will send the young man, saying, Go, find the arrows. If I say to the young man, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you to come, and there is no danger. 
But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. When the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on the seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan, his son, sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something's happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. Now, this doesn't mean David smelled and was not very hygienic. It meant he was ceremonially unclean, according to Jewish law. So he wasn't there. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. My brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now this is a more formal translation. You can imagine more modern translations may say something different. I'm just going to say that. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore sin and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the, king, from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month. But he was grieved for David because his father disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to the boy, run and find arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow, Jonathan had shot. Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave him his weapons to the boy and said, go and take them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between you and me, between my offspring and your offspring forever. He rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask this morning, from your word, this narrative story, that we would learn principles for being a good teammate, a godly teammate. God, speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a roadmap of where we're going with this. First of all, we're going to look at the challenge of a teammate. Then we're going to look at the contributions of a teammate. Finally, we're going to look at the temptation of a teammate. All right, so first, the challenge of a teammate. That challenge is making a conscious commitment. This was the case for Jonathan upon meeting David in 1 Samuel 18. He consciously decides to make a commitment with David even makes a covenant almost right away with him. Jonathan even gives him these tokens. 
of power, his robe, his ring, etc. To let him know, I am on your team. And not only that, here's the other point. He didn't spend two years getting to know the guy. Right? But also, signing up on someone's team is a conscious commitment which is best motivated and sustained by grace. We get a little picture of the gospel here. And that's how we continue to encourage people, hopefully through the gospel and through God's grace shown towards us. It's shown towards Jonathan. Jonathan signs up on David's team because someone has signed up on his. Look with me further back in 1 Samuel, be up on the screen, chapter 14, 6 and 7. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Jonathan's in the midst of battle at this point, he says, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, right, these Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now Jonathan had the kind of trust in the Lord that allowed him to take risks, right? Faith risks for him. And so he, he senses this moment's coming. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Do you see this? So before Jonathan signs up for a team, he had someone else sign up on his team. Someone who says, I am with you. I am going to be there for you. You have to cost me my life. The armor bearer sacrifices of himself. Gives of himself. Who does this sound like? 1 Peter 2.21. Peter says this of suffering. He says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Right? As Christ has sacrificed for us. He is on our team. So we are for others. And that's what Jonathan does. Jonathan is in a prominent position, right? The son of a king, a prince. But he humbles himself and sacrifices to care for another. Friends, God often uses your example, your sacrificial example, to encourage a teammate to then sign up for someone else's team. Do you see that? He wants to multiply your impact. That's what happened in the story. Started with a simple armor bearer to the son of a king, to a king who would influence a nation for years to come. Multiplied his impact. However, there's a problem because caring for someone without commitment is just a happy birthday card. How can I support someone in my workplace without really making a sacrificial commitment? How do I support them? Make sure I get my hands on that birthday card. <laughs> right? You ever experienced this? Basically also the equivalent of making the happy birthday post on someone's Facebook wall. Right? You never talk to them otherwise, but I'll just... Ah, oh, good. We're all good. At work, if someone's car should break down, and they come along and, hey, my car's broken down for a week, maybe more, can I get a ride? We're willing to do the birthday card thing. But then I'm asking, now where do you live again? I think I'm willing to do that. Now, let me say this. That's okay in one respect because we're not called to be on everyone's team. Right? This is important to say. It's impossible to be on everyone's team. But I hope you're on someone's. 
Are you on someone's team? By the way, as an employ- the only employee of our church, uh, my birthday card was pretty simple this year to myself. All right, uh, it was very, very nice. And I just, it was an e-card, I think. So <laughs> it's one of those barking dogs. Anyway, all right, so don't get me off track here. All right, second thing, contributions of a teammate. The challenge of a teammate is making a conscious commitment. What are the contributions of a teammate? How can we practically get on someone's team? We learned some lessons from Jonathan to David. Actually, I found six contributions in this passage, but we're just going to roll through four today. Number one, demonstrate that you are for a teammate. You are for this person. As Jonathan says in verse four to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Because, you look, a crisis of faith is going to come from each person. It's going to come for each person. How you demonstrate along the way that you are for that person will often determine how powerfully you might be used by God. This was the case for Jonathan, who'd shown that he was for David. So when a crisis comes in David's life, comes knocking on Jonathan's door, right? He knows that Jonathan is for him. How can you demonstrate that you are for someone? Using the gifts, talents, the resources that God has given you. I'm just going to give you a few here to think on. Wisdom and knowledge. Right? To help inform decisions. Prayer. Scripture. Sharing God's word with someone. Other people. Right? Sometimes it's referring someone who can help. Someone you know who has resources that you don't have. Financially, you can bless someone through simple friendship to them. What about experiences, right? Getting them out of their house to go experience something with you and be, or invite them into your home, giving them your time, sharing with them your words. These are some ways that we can show that we are for somebody. We are on their team. When I think of people who signed up on my team, I think of the elders in our church. I also think of a couple friends of mine who live in the States. Uh, my friend Aaron Graham is a pastor in Washington, D.C. And my friend John Moe, who is a, uh, has planted a church in Cleveland. I talk with my friend Aaron far more. And he always gives me time. He's always willing to give me time on the busiest of weeks. And he's one of those guys with like connections everywhere and going to conferences and speaking, etc., Always makes time for me in the busiest of his weeks. My friend John, I speak with far less. Uh, but whenever I do, he always encourages me with words about my faith, excuse me, about my gifting and my calling. Encourages me in my gifting and my calling. In fact, he would often repeat, hey man, when are you going to start a church? Or, uh, hey, when are you going to lead a church? You know that's what you were born to do. Now, he told me this for years. All right, so you can in large part blame John for my being here, okay? He had a large part to do with this. But what an encouragement. What a teammate. So thankful for him. Number two, a second contribution a teammate makes is helping a teammate make a plan. As Jonathan says, hey, on the third day, go down quickly. This is the beginning of a plan he's going to propose to David for David's safety. Right, in verses 18 through 22. The best plans we can help someone with, especially in a crisis, use both wisdom and require faith. 
They use wisdom and require faith. All right, so a wise plan. Jonathan makes one here, right? Let's read here. Verse 18 says this. Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is a new moon, and you'll be missed because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand. Okay. New moon festival was a big deal. All right, in their culture. It's a big celebration. And it celebrated the appearance of the crescent moon, right? The new moon in the western sky. But the problem is they didn't often have the uh, best scientific ways of predicting when this new moon would show up. All right, so if the new moon didn't come on the day they predicted, they'd celebrate the festival the first night, but then they'd have it again the second night. And hopefully, and usually then, then the moon would come around, right? So, just to be safe, so as not to offend his father and the king, to stay in his good graces, Jonathan picks day three, right? Just a simple act of wisdom. He doesn't want to run off where the festival's over and get in his father's bad graces. So he picks day three. Also, so as not to offend his father and stay in the king's council, right? To stay near the king so he can hear what he's proposing with David's life. He devises a plan which he can communicate something to David without anyone else knowing. Right? Not even this simple messenger boy. This is better than a text message, phone call, an IM thing, right? Because you can pick these things up. Right? Everybody's watching this. This was like even more brilliant. Hire a servant boy. Have him shoot an arrow. It doesn't really translate to our modern world. But you see the wisdom in it, right? No one else will know and possibly sabotage the plan. How can we help a teammate make a wise plan? I want to give you just a few little building blocks. A few questions I try to ask a teammate. First of all, when you're going through something, when you're going through a hard time or a crisis or a situation that requires a plan, what do you need or want? Another way to put this is, what is your desired outcome? It's one of the first things I ask. So you get right away the goal And once someone verbalizes what they want, they're more committed to it. Secondly, emphasize the blessings of the desired outcome to provide the necessary incentive. Right? When you leave that person, encourage them later. Hey, don't forget how great it's going to be when you're reunited with your wife. Or or don't forget how great it's going to be when you see your son's face. Or how great it will be when that coworker takes notice that you love Jesus. Emphasize. The blessings of the outcome. Also, make sure to ask, what are you willing to give up? When you help someone make a plan, usually it's going to take them sacrificing something. So make sure they verbalize what they're willing to give up. And finally, I try to help people with a plan with just two or four tangible steps. Don't make a lot of steps. Don't make too few. Any more, any less is unrealistic. Right? If you make, like, one step... You know, it's probably unrealistic that something's really going to happen, okay? And people get frustrated. If you make like six steps, right? I mean, it's something, you know, or like a 10-step plan you're going to do. Like, it doesn't leave any room for contingencies, nor room for God to come in and do something awesome. All right? So just some suggestions there. So a wise plan, but also a plan that requires faith. It's the best kind of plan. Notice, if the wise plan that Jonathan proposes resulted in David's having to flee, there's no contingency plan for David to sit on the throne. 
Right? They're not sitting there and planning like, okay, so if this doesn't work, how are we going to get you onto the throne and be in charge? Now, here's what I would have proposed. I would have, uh, if I was in charge, this is why I'm not in charge and I'm, I lack still a lot of wisdom in my life. Here's what you're going to do, David. You're going to get in the king's good graces. You're going to ask the king's daughter to go out on a few dates. All right, this is what you're going to... And when you're wondering what to talk to her about and you get stuck, just tell her the Goliath story. All right, the ladies, they dig the Goliath story. All right, you know, you got the stone, you're going to ring it around. Like one in a million chance, I'm telling you. Boom! He was out like that. I think he was, he was like 10 feet tall. That's awesome. I see you impress her. All right. That's a pretty good story, actually, huh? All right. But, thankfully, it didn't happen that way. Instead, the contingency plan for Jonathan was trusting in God to fulfill his promise. Right? That God would get David on his throne. So the idea is plan some Leave room for God. Third contribution a teammate makes is to suffer with another teammate. A principle we can learn here from this passage, as Jonathan says, or as Jonathan demonstrates, he was grieved for David. It says in verse 33 and 34, and he shows this. Now suffering can take many forms. Right? Prayer, weeping, listening, for some of us, it's, it's getting online, researching a solution, talking to others, trying to find out a way to fix it. But it's suffering with someone. In Jonathan's case, it was three things. It was a righteous indignation, right? That God's justice was being thwarted. It was essentially what was tantamount to fasting. As David suffered and ran for his life. And thirdly, it was a willingness to sacrifice standing and reputation. Right? Kind of throughout this story, Jonathan is suffering with David by his willingness to give up all that he has. Suffer with a teammate. Three contributions a teammate should make. Finally, the temptation of a teammate, which is, I gotta get mine. Temptation of the teammate. I gots to get mine. Now, uh, never mind that I, I took these lyrics from a rap song by MC Breed featuring Tupac. All right. Uh, looked in, I, I got I, I don't. That's probably very unholy of me. But I found that out. Uh, I, just, I just Googled that. I don't actually ever heard this song. But I got to get mine. That's a temptation for any teammate. Saul says to Jonathan, Hey, look. For as long as the son of Jesse, this is in verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, in other words, as long as David's around, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Right? He was the prince. He was the guy in waiting. So what does his dad do? Hey, just know if he lives, you don't get to be king. It's hard to keep on being for someone when what's best for them might threaten what's best for you. Right? When their best might threaten your best. That's hard. And the greatest temptation when working as a team is jealousy. The greatest temptation when working as a team is jealousy. 
When people try to achieve a common goal as a unified team, what's the best way for an enemy to attack? Make them individuals. Remind them they're individuals with their own needs. Right? And so we start to think when helping someone else, encouraging someone else, and pouring into someone else, where's my respect? Right? Where's my reward? And where's my rest? I like to read a lot of stuff out there on leadership. Like from John Maxwell to Jim Collins to uh, Oswald Sanders' Spiritual Leadership. Great book. And all these guys agree that one of the worst decisions a leader can make is to only hire or support followers. In other words, only support followers as opposed to other leaders because they're worried that they'll be in competition with them. Right? Their talents, their giftings, whatever are such that I don't want to be in competition with someone. I've got to protect myself. David Ogilvie, the founder of a giant advertising agency, he gives, this is kind of cool, he gives each new manager in his organization a Russian doll. Remember, you know these things, the Russian dolls, right? They're a doll which contain five or three or whatever, progressively smaller dolls. All right, kids love them. Like, uh, I think we have like three of them. They're great. All right, inside the smallest doll, he would give a message that reads, if each of us hires people who are smaller than we are, we shall become a company of dwarves. But if each of us hires people who are bigger than we are, we shall become a company of giants. All right, you get the point. By supporting people, people who are in the same position we are, have the same talents or giftings, whatever it is, God uses that oftentimes as a win-win situation, a true win-win situation. Jonathan pours everything into supporting someone who is bigger than he is, right? Who's a giant compared to him. Because he's going to be a king. But he dies before David takes the throne. He doesn't see his earthly reward. But remember, by being on David's team, Jonathan has promised something great in verse 15, that David will show love and favor towards his descendants. Always. And sure enough, if you go on and read, if you go a little further in here, and you read in 2 Samuel 9, David searches high and low for Jonathan's descendants. And he hears he has a son, a crippled son, named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. It's hard to say. Crippled. Cripples in the presence of a throne in the ancient Near East were thought to be a sign of humiliation of the king. Crippled, unclean. But David would have none of that. He pledged, he brings Mephibosheth in and he pledges to care for him. He invites him to eat at the king's table every night, and he restores to him all of King Saul's land. An amazing gift. Remember, Saul was a king, and he gives him back all of the former king's land. When in the church, you get on another's team to support or encourage them in Christ, 
You go from trying just to be a significant person, one significant person, to multiplying your impact to the point of being part of something cosmic. Something much greater than ourselves. Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are being built into a temple to house the living God. That's awesome. Jonathan wasn't just building into David. He was building into a kingdom from whose line would come a savior. Far greater than himself. Far greater than even one person. A kingdom. Imagine how hard it was, though. Take a step back from that victory. Imagine how hard it was during this time. I don't want to de-significant, you know, I don't want to de-emphasize how hard it was for Jonathan to go through life, to sign up on David's team, but never see the results. Jonathan died in battle with his dad. And he saw none of the reward of investing in this man's life. In supporting someone, there's often no tangible result. Sometimes your efforts go unthanked and unrewarded. Jonathan's key to not becoming jealous, to not attempting to get his, leads to contribution number four of a teammate. You thought I'd forgotten contribution number four. It's here. Here it is. Contribution number four of a teammate. Relate to even your closest teammates through Christ. Relate to even your closest of teammates through Christ. This is repeated twice in this chapter. In the middle and at the end, because it's this chapter's most essential point. Verse 23, Behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. The Lord is between you and me forever. Author Dietrich Bonhoeffer, mid-20th century author, said in Life Together, a great book, says this, Because Christ stands between me and others, I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. This means that I must release the person from every attempt of mine to regulate, coerce, and dominate him with my love. The other person needs to retain his independence of me to be loved for what he is, as one for whom Christ became man, died, and rose again. Christ must stand between us. Because you see, when you form a bond with someone and get on their team, you can become jealous. But through Christ, through Christ, you remember everything done in and through someone is a gift of grace. It's all of his doing. There's no credit. There's no earning points. It's grace for a greater purpose. When you pour into someone, you might hope that they turn out to look like something. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of envision them, if you pour into them, turning out a certain way. And it doesn't happen sometimes. But through Christ, we know He gives to each person a unique set of gifts and talents to serve the church. Right? And so it's His purposes. It's his work. And we can thank him for it. Do you see how this works then? Do you see this? In a way, you have your distance from a person 
Because it's never just about you and them. It's Christ between us, right? And so you can do things like speak truth into someone's life. Speak truth into a teammate's life that otherwise they might not want to hear. That in a worldly setting we wouldn't do because we don't want them to be mad at us. But because Jesus is between us, we can do it. Because he's first. But on the other hand, in another way, you can never be closer because you are family. Because of Christ. And so you can be vulnerable. You can be real. You can be authentic with people. You see that? Because of Christ. I want to close with this story. A story of three coaches on the same team who also signed up to be on one another's team. The three coaches who worked together to help the University of Florida basketball team become national champions. Where I'm from, the States, a little background, a lot of the universities have teams, and it's kind of a big deal. All right? It's on television, etc. And the University of Florida, the basketball team became national champions, and these three coaches helped get them there. They were assistant coach Anthony Grant, head coach Billy Donovan, and assistant coach John Pelfrey. While two assistants are now somewhere else, or head coaches in other places, they each correspond every year on three dates. February 6th, November 2nd, and August 22nd. For Anthony Grant, it was February 6th. Eight and a half months pregnant, his wife Christina stopped by her husband's office that morning, complaining of a tightness in her belly. She experienced no movement of her child. When rushed to the hospital, doctors told her that her placenta had ruptured and their baby had no heartbeat. For head coach Billy Donovan, it was the very next year, November 2nd. Eight days before her due date, Christine Donovan told her husband while he was away that she hadn't felt her baby in nearly 24 hours. Doctors told her well, first of all, she went uh, to a general practitioner down the street who checked her out, thought everything was fine. As a precautionary measure, she goes to the hospital. Her husband calls the hospital for hours on end. Finally gets a hold of her. She whispers to him, I lost the baby. For John Pelfrey, it was a couple years later, August 22nd his wife Tracy's eighth month of pregnancy, she realized she had a condition called isoimmunization. Basically, her blood, Tracy's blood, recognizes other blood as foreign. And so her body goes into protection mode and doesn't supply enough blood to the womb. They weren't able to save the baby in time. As Pelfrey commented, they say lightning doesn't strike twice, but on this one small coaching staff, it struck three times. From that point on, each committed to trust God, to pray for each other and their families, and every year to send a card, a message, a text, a phone call to remember their children on these dates who are now gone to be with the Lord. Countless persons who've lost children late in pregnancies have heard their stories, gained strength 
from seeing these macho men supporting each other through tragedy and giving glory to God throughout it all. Three men who made the commitment to sign up on one another's team. Who sacrificed to make the contributions of a teammate. And forged their strongest bond through Jesus Christ. And God multiplied their impact. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for, for you. We're thankful for you. Our greatest teammate. Your word says that you are for us, and so who can be against us? Lord, thank you for the example of these three men. In the world of sports, competitive, prone to self-centeredness and pride, who sacrifice themselves to jump on another's team and share a bond through Jesus. And so gave a message of hope to so many others. Lord Jesus, encourage our hearts to sign up on someone's team. To not just take your love and keep it to ourselves. To not just take our gifts and talents and go home, but to invest them. And Jesus, we trust that you will use this mightily. You will use this powerfully to multiply your impact. Lord, will you do this even in our church? We know that it will happen because, Jesus, you are the sinner. You are between us and everyone else. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.